Hi, and welcome to Cryptic Chronicles. Today on the show, we have a darker look at Disneyland. It turns out the happiest place on Earth is so happy, people don't even want to leave when they die. Then we're going to get into the topic of the notorious Cecil Hotel. At first, the hotel had such a bright future when it was built in the 20s, but became a haven for those who had fallen on hard times during the Depression. This episode will get dark, talking about suicides, murder, and serial killers. So here's your only warning. This episode is not for the squeamish. I'm your host, Tim Hacker. Let's begin. In 1955, Disneyland opened its gates. Since then, over 600 million people have visited the most magical place on Earth. So, at a place so dense with hordes of humanity, it's no wonder legends surround the amusement park. Both employees and visitors have told many strange tales. Is it possible there is something supernatural at Disneyland? Well, behind all the glamour and wonder is a very different place. Like the sprawling labyrinth of tunnels just underneath the surface which employees use to traverse around the park, but are also used for other things, too. People have died at Disneyland in horrible ways. There's over ten reported fatalities. Not only that, but the remains of deceased people have been spread all over the park. It's been going on for years now. Disneyland has become an incredibly popular place to leave the ashes of deceased loved ones. It mainly occurs on Pirates of the Caribbean and Haunted Mansion, but remains have been discarded all over the park. And sometimes the remains aren't even ashes. Actual human bones have been found in the haunted mansion. And when Pirates of the Caribbean first came out, the skeletons inside the attraction were actual human skeletons. Some people say the violent deaths and human remains have tainted the park in a dark energy. Hundreds of ghost sightings are reported every year. And employees report strange phenomenon often. So there's something definitely weird going on at Disneyland. If you've ever played the game Five Nights at Freddy's, it might spark your interest that Disneyland animatronics move even when the electricity is turned off. At nighttime, Pirates of the Caribbean ride operators sometimes see the apparition of a man on the video monitors. Whenever someone goes to check it out, no one's there. On Space Mountain, the ride and employee area are said to be haunted by Mr. One-Way, a man who was allegedly killed on the ride all the way back in the 70s. Mr. One-Way gets inside the carts with a single occupant, but vanishes before the ride's over. And there's tons of tales like this. Disneyland is the dream come true of Mr. Walt Disney, the father of Mickey Mouse and the current Disney empire. It's enchanted countless people over the years, and has an almost cult-like following of dedicated fans. I guess some people like it so much they never want to leave. Because of Disney's darker side, it's led to many conspiracy theories, and there have been some pretty gruesome deaths there. 22-year-old Marcelo Torres bled to death riding Thunder Mountain in 2003. When going into the tunnel, the train car he was on separated from the track. There was nothing that could have been done for him after his chest was crushed. In 1964, Mark Maples was killed on the Matterhorn at the age of 15. Ignoring safety instructions, the youth took off his seatbelt and attempted to stand up at the peak, but he was thrown out, and his skull was caved in as he impacted on the track below. But there's been more than one death on the Matterhorn. A 48-year-old woman by the name of Dolly Young was also killed. She was also thrown from her cart and landed right in front of an oncoming bobsled, which got pretty messy. They had to disassemble the track in order to remove the flattened and grotesque remains. In 1973, two brothers, one 18 years old and the other 10, were on Tom Sawyer's Island. They were there past the closing time and somehow went unnoticed by the staff. They actually missed the last boat ride back to the main part of the theme park. Not wanting to get in trouble, they decided to swim back. But the man-made river at the theme park was not made for people to swim in. The younger boy survived, but the older one was sucked down into the artificial waterways and drowned. The Disneyland employees, local police, and firefighters spent eight hours trying to find the body. People Mover is a retired ride that functioned from 1967 until 1995. 
It was an elevated cart ride thing that very slowly circled the park. The people mover would normally seem like a tame ride, especially since it moved really, really slow. It was more of an attraction for older people, or people who don't like roller coasters. But even though it seemed ridiculously tame, in 1967, Ricky Lee Yama died riding it at the age of 17. There was a game teens played while riding the people mover. They would jump from one cart to another. But the ride was deceptive. It didn't use an engine to move. The track moved the carts. So if someone fell out of the cart onto the track, they would be crushed to death slowly by a ride that moves two miles per hour. Which is brutal. In 1980, Geraldo Gonzalez was killed trying to switch carts on the people mover also. He was 18. Only difference is the ride was upgraded to a super speed tunnel at this time. So, he wasn't crushed to death at a snail's pace, but was dragged along the track at high speed for hundreds of feet, which you can imagine made a mess. Thomas Cleveland tried to sneak into the park in 1966 at the age of 18. He hopped the fence and climbed onto the monorail track, thinking he could walk the track to the stop and enter Disneyland proper. Two security guards spotted him. They were trying to warn him, but he thought they were going to catch him and get him in trouble. So he booked it down the track away from them. But in front of him was an oncoming train. He noticed it too late, though, and there wasn't much he could do. His body was torn apart by the impact, and what was left was dragged down the track in a red stain. In 1974, Disneyland released the attraction America Sings. It was a creepy singing animatronic show. The theater rotated like a carousel, revealing six different stages throughout the presentation. Each of the stages would rotate after the three-minute act, and as it did so, the lights in the theater would go dark. Two weeks after its grand opening on July 8, 1974, Guests watching the show got freaked out when the stages were turning and the lights went out because of a girl's blood-curdling scream. They assumed it was part of the show. They assumed wrong. Deborah Stone was a hostess at the attraction who was 18. Just two weeks into her new job at Disneyland, she was in the wrong place at the wrong time. In the darkness, she stood too close to the revolving theater and the non-moving wall. The machinery was powerful enough to move a hundred people. Deborah was crushed into the wall through the gap by the rotating stage. Hours went by before anybody noticed, and the splattered and dismembered body was everywhere along the inner workings of the wall. So, yeah. Those are some pretty disturbing and brutal deaths at Disneyland. It's not always the happiest place on Earth. There's a dark underbelly behind the facade, and there's tons of people who say the place is haunted. When Walt Disney was alive, he had a personal apartment above the Main Street Fire Station. He also hosted VIPs and celebrities there. Legend has it that Walt liked it so much, he never left. Whenever he stayed at the apartment when he was alive, he would light a lamp at the front window, easily visible from the street below. This was to let both employees of the park and guests know that the creator of Disneyland himself was there. After his death, the light would mysteriously turn on or they'd walk out after turning it off, only to see it turn on from the street below. One time, a cleaning lady turned off the light, and it turned right back on in front of her. Even till this day, employees say that phantom footsteps and knocking can be heard from Walt Disney's apartment at night. But apparently hauntings are common at this theme park. Allegedly, there's paranormal activity that occurs throughout the shops, too. Like the Star Trader in Tomorrowland, for example, the place gives off a creepy vibe when not busy with guests. There's cold spots. And when closed up, stuff moves around inside even though no one was there. The atmosphere is supposedly haunted, too. It's a hat shop between Tomorrowland and America Sings. Also, near one of the ice cream carts, you can supposedly hear a woman's phantom voice if you pay attention. And on Main Street is a full-fledged specter that's been seen dressed in old-timey clothing called the Woman in White. According to legend, she died there in the early 1900s. This is long before Disneyland was built, and she's haunted the area since that long ago. The 19-year-old kid who died by the monorail trying to sneak into the park is also said to haunt the area. Late at night, employees see him when they're driving the monorail, basically in the spot where he was killed. For a couple seconds, he's seen running away from the high-speed monorail, 
and then he vanishes. Park employees get really freaked out when this happens, and rumors of the ghostly sighting are common. America Sings is another haunted attraction. Remember earlier when I talked about the grisly death of 18-year-old Deborah Stone, who was crushed to death by the rotating animatronic stage? Well, ever since that tragedy, employees who work at America Sings have reported a ghostly whisper of a woman who says, Be careful, which has scared the hell out of people. But it's good advice. The area is also said to be haunted by the boy who was dragged to death on the speed tunnel section of the People Mover. And Dolly Young, the woman who died by being flung from the Matterhorn, also haunts the ride she died on. Those who walk the track before closing up say they can feel like Dolly is watching them. The lights around the spot where Dolly died always burn out prematurely, and act erratically. And an apparition of the woman has been seen a number of times. Though, for the most part, her haunting is just a creepy ambience. The animatronic show, It's a Small World, is also known to be a hot spot for paranormal activity at Disneyland. The creepy doll show will turn on all by themselves, even if the electricity has been turned off. The lights at the attraction will also turn on and off on their own, and overall be erratic after closing. But the haunted mansion especially is known to be a place where the unexplainable occurs. Supposedly, there is many ghosts that haunt the attraction. The stories go all the way back to when the haunted mansion was being built. One of the workers heard music coming from behind the wall of the seance room. He looked for the source, but no matter how much he looked, he couldn't find where the music was coming from. The book in the seance room is said to be in a different location every time the employees open the attraction. The ashes of deceased people have been scattered all around the haunted mansion. Some say this is the origin of the ghost of a child boy who's been seen by many there. He's been seen running around the ballroom section, or laughing in different areas of the ride, and crying near the exit. Supposedly someone got a picture of this ghost boy with their camera. I'll put it in the show notes, so go check it out. If you look on YouTube, there are many alleged videos of Disneyland ghosts caught on film. One in particular is freaky and looks legit. It's supposed to be the ghost of Walt Disney making rounds of the park at night when closed. Even Adam Sandler has talked about seeing a ghost at Disneyland while being interviewed on a talk show. There's many more dark secrets of Disney and Disneyland I'll cover in another episode. The Cecil Hotel opened up its doors to the public in 1927. During the 20s, downtown Los Angeles was on the rise. So the hotel was made with upper-class traveling businessmen and wealthy tourists in mind. It was pretty high-end, with the marble lobby, stained glass windows, and you name it, fancy stuff. No expense was spared, and it quickly became a popular travel destination. But then the Great Depression kicked in. The once lavish, on-the-rise downtown Los Angeles quickly turned the Cecil Hotel's neighborhood into one of the most impoverished places in the city. It was filled to the brim with the homeless and had sky-high crime rates. The area was renamed Skid Row, and still has that nickname today. This forced the Cecil Hotel to adapt. So this grandly designed hotel became a haven for lowlives. And though it's an infamous hotel now... It's always been a hotspot for dark occurrences. The first of many suicides to come took place there in 1931. 46-year-old W.K. Norton checked into the hotel, then killed himself by taking poison pills. His body was found the next day by a maid. Just a year later, in 1932, a man shot himself in the head. He was only 25 years old. In 1934, on the floor found dead in his room was Louis D. Borden. A suicide note was found next to his body. But that all was just the beginning. Over the years, the hotel's decline was steady, to the point it was almost solely a refuge for lowlives and dregs of society. In 1954, a woman jumped from a window to her death. Her name was Helen C. Gurney. Many more suicides took place over the span of the 30s, 40s, and 50s. It got to the point where people nicknamed the hotel the Suicide. 
1944, a 19-year-old woman named Dorothy Purcell woke up with intense stomach pains. It turned out she was pregnant and delivered the baby right there on the hotel floor. She didn't even know she was pregnant. I'm not sure how that works. She threw the baby out the window of the hotel, thinking it was dead. During her trial, it turned out she was completely insane and got off by reason of insanity. But many jurors did want to give her the death penalty after murdering her own baby. In 1962, Pauline Otten jumped from the ninth-story window after arguing with her husband. She landed right on top of a man by the name of George Giannini during his evening walk. The two were killed instantly. With all the self-inflicted death at the Cecil, it's no wonder it's earned the nickname The Suicide. But the hotel also has a history of murder. In 1964, a local woman known for feeding pigeons was found in her ransacked room, raped, stabbed, and strangled. A man walking down the street covered in blood was arrested, but he was released because of a lack of evidence and the case was never solved. It's crazy that such a high-class hotel with indulgent decor and architecture became such a cesspit. If the Depression never happened, it would have remained a top-tier hotel for the upper class. It was the inspiration for the American Horror Story Hotel series. The creators say in interviews that it was the Cecil Hotel that definitely inspired them. You can even compare real pictures of the Cecil and the set pictures for that series and see many similarities. So the hotel is in pop culture, too. It's commonly associated with L.A.'s most infamous murders, like the 1947 case of the Black Dahlia. A woman was found murdered in the Limert Park neighborhood of Los Angeles, California. The case became very publicized because of its gruesome nature. The corpse of the girl had been mutilated and completely cut in half at the waist. Her name turned out to be Elizabeth Short, but she would forever be known as the Black Dahlia. The unsolved murder generated a lasting cultural intrigue. It's created tons of theories and public speculation, and there's been many books and movies on the Black Dahlia. It's easily one of the most famous unsolved murders in American history. Allegedly, she had one final drink at the Cecil Hotel just hours before being found murdered just a couple miles away. The Cecil's also been a haven for serial killers. The Night Stalker himself made the Cecil his home for over a year. Richard Ramirez would break into people's houses and violently attack them. He would kill the men, then bind, rape, and demand the location of valuables from the women. Richard Ramirez, a.k.a. the Night Stalker, was a brutal murderer and a Satanist. After one of his murder outings, he would just toss his bloody clothes into the Cecil Hotel's dumpster, then casually return to his room. He would eventually be caught but he never expressed any remorse for his actions. He would die from complications from B-cell lymphoma while awaiting execution. Another serial killer, Johann Unterberger, was released from prison and almost immediately began killing again as he stayed in the Cecil Hotel. He beat and sexually assaulted three women before strangling them to death with their own bras. When he was caught, he killed himself rather than go back to prison. After all this, it might make you think the hotel's cursed, and there's a lot of people who think it is. There's even people who think the almost 100-year-old building is consumed in some sort of malevolent sentience, like the hotel in the movie The Shining. There's been over 20 gruesome deaths linked to the hotel, and it doesn't seem to be slowing down anytime soon. The Cecil has attempted to shake off its grisly reputation many times, including renovations and marketing schemes, but it's never worked. Seeing scary apparitions are allegedly common at the Cecil, and there are those that call it the most haunted hotel in America. There have been reports of dark images and shadows, haunting noises, and things moving on their own in the night. But perhaps the most famous case concerning the hotel took place recently in the year 2013, which is the unexplainable case of Elisa Lamb. In 2013, residents at the hotel began to complain about the nasty water that had been coming out of the tab and shower. There was a dark tinge to the drinking water, and it had a strange odor. The taste of the water was off as well as the color, so it's no wonder people complained having spent good money to stay at the Cecil. One lady said the shower water would come out black for a couple seconds before looking like normal water. 
When a maintenance worker finally went to check on the water tanks at the top of the building and lifted the very heavy steel lid to look inside, he discovered something that both shocked and repulsed him to his very core. Inside the hotel's water tank was a bloated, decomposing body of a young woman, Elisa Lamb. Officially, the cause of death was ruled an accident by drowning, but the bizarre nature of the death raised many eyebrows, leaving most who have looked into this case unsatisfied with the official ruling. There have been many amateur investigators from all across the globe that have come up with their own theories on what happened to her. Some totally insane, but most more interesting than the official accidental drowning. The judgment of the Los Angeles Police Department has been disputed by many. And, of course, the Cecil Hotel upper management have done their best to sweep the whole incident under the rug. As a result, the case of Elisa Lamb's death has taken a prominent role on the internet, be it conspiracy theories or paranormal phenomenon. It's definitely the most mysterious fatality case of the 21st century so far. Yet, after peeling back all the controversy around the case, Elisa Lamb was a very fascinating young woman. She struggled with bipolar disorder and had a variety of intellectual interests. Her story paints a very human picture. It was very tragic for someone so young and beautiful with such a bright future to meet such a grisly end. Her memory deserves to be treated with respect and reverence, so I'll try my best to tell her story clearly without dishonoring her. Elisa Lamb was born in Canada in 1981. As Elisa grew up, she was known to be caring and compassionate, she would often volunteer to help the community, and had a reputation for being level-headed. Elisa enrolled at the University of British Columbia at the age of 21. Though Elisa was medicated for bipolar disorder, she never let it rule or define her, but she would open up about her condition on her social media accounts, something you can still go check out today if you want. They show she had a very poetic and deep soul. A lot of what she said was almost like poetry. She vented her emotions through her online blog, which showed her formidable intelligence and analytical thought. She would post her mind frequently and in depth. Sometimes her posts had a dark theme, which shows someone with bipolar disorders continuing never-ending struggle with depression. Though this shouldn't make people think she was suicidal or anything. She wasn't. There are countless brave and strong people that never let this mental illness get in the way of living a full and healthy life. And if anything, Elisa Lamb was full of life. She had powerful passions and dedicated interests. She loved art in all its forms, and had a deep interest in how the world worked in its many cultures. Poetry and writing were some of her greatest passions. And I can't really say enough of how intellectually gifted this young woman was. Slowly, though, the darker nature of her posts receded to the point they were almost non-existent in January 2013, just a mere month before she vanished. So the suicide theories are grasping at straws. At the time, she was incredibly optimistic and had a positive outlook on life. She adopted a literary quote as her personal mantra, and I quote, You're always haunted by the idea that you're wasting your life. End quote. She would repeat this saying often, and seemed to always be taking actions to disprove it about herself. She would leave home for a life adventure she called her West Coast Tour. This is what would bring her to the Cecil Hotel. She started her adventure in San Diego, though, and during her trip all her posts were positive and happy. Even when she got lost or things didn't go her way. She even remained positive after having been literally stuck in an airport for some time, like Tom Hanks in the terminal. Across her journey through California, Elisa would communicate with her parents daily. Her parents said she always seemed happy when she did this, and it seemed like indeed she was having a real adventure. She had only positive things to say, and seemed to be having an incredibly fun trip. Her parents weren't worried about her at all. On the 29th of January in 2013, her adventure took her to Los Angeles, where she would book a room at the Cecil Hotel for three nights. Whether she knew about the notorious Skid Row area of downtown L.A. or the dark history of the Cecil Hotel is up for debate. But Elisa's last post on Tumblr talks about the shady state of Skid Row. Then no one on social media would ever hear from her again. 
on the day of her scheduled checkout from the hotel, she was a no-show. Police would later release the missing person case to the public. They also released security camera footage of Elisa in the hotel, just before she vanished. The footage was taken at midnight on the 1st of February, and would go on to become famous. I'll post the footage in the show notes, of course. In it, she acts incredibly bizarre, and the surveillance footage has drawn interest worldwide. The camera looks down from the ceiling in the corner of the elevator, which also gives a slight view of the hallway. At the beginning, she enters and pushes several floor buttons on the control panel, then appears to shove herself into a corner, basically like she's hiding or something. The creep factor kicks in immediately when the doors of the elevator don't close automatically, like they usually do in every elevator ever. Nervously, she tiptoes from the corner to carefully lean out and peek in both directions, then quickly steps back inside, backing up to the wall before going back to the corner next to the control panel as if to hide. The door still remains open, which is very strange. Then after a little bit, she moves to stand in the doorway, leaning on the side. Then she abruptly steps out into the hall, turns to the side, back in, peeking out to look to the side, then back out again. Then she again steps sideways and for a few seconds is beyond sight for the most part. I know this sounds kind of wonk, but if you go check out the video, you'll get it. The entire time, the elevator doors remain open, with the keep open button clearly never pressed in the footage. Elisa's right arm goes to her head. Then she turns to re-enter the elevator. She then presses a whole bunch of buttons on the control panel, then puts both hands over her ears briefly before leaning against the wall again. The elevator doors remain unmoving. She then rubs her forearms together and waves her hands out to her sides, her palms flat, fingers outstretched while bowed and rocking back and forth slightly. It's very strange, the way she moves. It's creepy. Finally, she leaves the elevator and walks away. Then, unexplainably, the ever-open elevator doors close right when she exits. The whole thing is pretty unsettling to watch, so if you haven't seen it, definitely go watch it, because it's pretty hard to explain in words what happens. Many days later, the police were notified that a human body had been found at the Cecil Hotel. The employees had been getting complaints about the water in the hotel by guests for days now. That's because they were drinking and bathing in water that had a decaying corpse marinating inside its tank. Which I'm sure is the most sickening thing they've ever heard. The prime detective on the case confirmed the body in the tank to be that of Elisa Lamb not long afterward. The autopsy report of the official cause of death was changed more than once, which should raise some questions. Originally, they ruled it as an accident. Then they changed it to could not be determined. But then when they released it to the public, they changed it back to accidental. The autopsy reported, too, that the only drugs Elisa was on were her bipolar and depression pills she was prescribed, and that they were at normal and healthy levels in her body. So a psychotic episode through overdose was ruled out, as well as a psychotic breakdown from stopping her medication. It also ruled out Elisa being drugged, or on some psychedelic, or party drug, to explain her bizarre behavior in the security footage. There were no apparent signs of foul play. Though, if there was a rape kit test on the corpse, the results were never released to the public. Blood was found pooling in her rectum, and traces of alcohol were found in her liver. When all the information got out, the media had a field day over it. It was a real-life horror story, after all. And one of the strangest coincidences about the case was how similar it was to the movie Dark Water, released back in 2005. In the movie Dark Water... A woman's body was also found in a building's supply tank of water, and water floods certain floors of the building. On the night of Elise's death, a longtime resident heard a loud noise come from the fourth floor. Then water flooded the fourth floor of the Cecil that night, very similar to what happened in the movie Dark Water. The coincidences are pretty creepy, and have only added to the eeriness of Elisa Lamb's case. Amateur sleuths have used evidence from the autopsy, the footage, Elisa's social media accounts, and word of mouth by her parents who she contacted every day to try and put the puzzle together. People like to point out her bipolar disorder. She was on a handful of different drugs to minimize her condition and help control her manic ups and downs, and the autopsy shows that she was on the right dosage of her medication, other than her antipsychotic medication, that is. 
which has shown to increase the risk of manic episodes in bipolar people. Psychotic breakdowns can cause hallucinations, paranoia, lack of insight, and bursts of mania. So many people think her bizarre behavior in the elevator was one of these manic breakdowns. Psychomotor agitation can cause people's appendages to move abnormally, and could explain the creepy way she moves her arms and hands in the surveillance footage. It causes unintentional and purposeless motion born from anxiety and mental tension, all things that can come from a manic episode. There were no other drugs besides her prescribed ones in her system, and though alcohol was found in her, the amount was minimal, not nearly enough to have her be intoxicated. So, though alcohol can have severe side effects on people who are medicated, it wasn't nearly enough to affect her. So she wasn't walking around the hotel hammered and acting out. There was nothing that could have caused her mania other than her lack of taking her antipsychotic medication. So it made people think Elisa, in some delusional state, acted funky in the elevator, then went to the roof, jumped inside the tank, and drowned. This is the crux of the accidental death theory. However, this theory's like Swiss cheese. It's got a lot of holes. There are no accounts of such mental instability once in her life to that degree of mania, whether she took pills or not. Based off her past, she would have gone depressive, not manic in a life-endangering way. If that were the case, her parents and loved ones would not have let her travel alone. It simply wasn't in her history. Based off those who knew her and her social media accounts, her relapses of bipolar disorder ranged from positive and negative emotions. She was more likely not to get out of bed than jump in a water tank on a hotel roof. Mental illness is personalized, like a fingerprint, and no two cases are ever exactly alike. So it's highly unlikely that her death was caused by a manic episode. Also, the steel lid over the water tank is incredibly heavy, and it's likely she couldn't have lifted it by herself. But if somehow she did, it's far too calculating for somebody that's in a manic, psychotic state. It's much more likely that if she was driven to suicide by mania, she would have just jumped off the building, which was right there and easy to do. You're listening to Cryptic Chronicles, and we'll be right back after a short break. Don't go anywhere. listeners, thanks for listening to Cryptic Chronicles. Are you interested in creating your own podcast? Well, Blueberry Hosting supports podcasters in the making. Blueberry is optimized for iTunes as well as other podcast hubs. Don't worry about contracts or expensive fees. You have your own RSS feed and no third-party sites. You won't even have to leave your website. Blueberry Hosting is key to podcast success. Try it for a month free and start your own podcast today. By using the promo code CRYPTICCHRONICLES13, you can get an entire month of free service. Go to Blueberry.com, that's B-L-U-B-R-R-Y.com, to get started. And get your podcast going today. Thanks for supporting Cryptic Chronicles, but most of all, thanks for listening. Another thing that doesn't add up about the whole accidental death theory is that her clothes were covered in a sand substance, the same substance that's on the roof of the Cecil Hotel. And when she was discovered, her clothes were off of her floating in the tank, which means her clothes were on the ground on the roof before being put inside the tank. Crazy people do crazy stuff, one could say, but it's far too calculating for somebody having a manic episode. Then there's the hinge on the lid of the water tank. When her body was found, the water in the tank was one-third to one-half full. There is no way she could have reached up from the water to close it. It's just not possible with how tall she was. Her arms were not long enough to reach up that high to close it behind her. The only way that theory works is if she wiggled inside through a half-open lid. A very, very heavy steel lid at that. Again, way too calculating for somebody going through mania. Though, in saying that, the whole she did it in a state of mania can't be fully thrown out. There's always anomalies in mental illness, 
and insanity has been known to defy expectations. But it's too easy to explain away Elise's death as some psychotic episode. I'm just saying there's no way it's 100% based off an objective view of the evidence. Another interesting thing concerning the death of Elisa Lamb are theories entertaining a more supernatural nature. Like some saying that Elisa was playing the elevator game, which is a supernatural ritual that comes from a Korean urban legend. The game requires a single person, a building at least 10 stories high, and must have an elevator. So Elisa had all the requirements to play. This supernatural game was trending on social medias for a while, so it's highly likely that Elisa did come across it. In order to play, the person must enter the building and immediately get on the first floor elevator. But the person must be alone, so it's best to play at night around midnight or so when there's not many people around. To begin the game, you have to push the buttons in a certain floor order, but it has to be followed precisely. After visiting floors in certain orders, you'll reach the 10th floor and remain inside, then push the button for the 5th floor. When you do reach the 5th floor and the door is open, a young woman may enter the elevator. Don't look at her or speak to her at all costs. She is not human. Then the person must press the button for the 1st floor. If, instead, the elevator goes up to the 10th floor, you will be allowed to proceed in the game. If it goes down to the first floor following the button you pushed, do not look back or speak. But if the elevator went up to the 10th floor instead, you may either stay in the elevator or get off onto that floor. If the young woman entered the elevator on the 5th floor, she'll ask you, Where are you going? Do not look at her or respond. She is not what she seems. And when you leave the elevator, you're walking into another dimension. If you've seen Stranger Things, it would be similar to the Upside Down world. One of the indications that you've entered into this other world is that everything pretty much looks the same, except you're the only one there. Now, how to get back from this other world. You must return to our world through the same elevator you came from. Then repeat the process of pushing all the buttons in the right order. Then push the button for the first floor again. The elevator will ignore your commands and go up to the 10th floor instead. It's important to press any button to cancel the ascension before reaching the 10th floor. This ends the ritual. After it's all over, when you finally reach the first floor, check all of your surroundings very carefully. If just the smallest thing seems off, do not exit the elevator. Repeat the process until you're sure you're in the real world. I'll explain a little bit more of what the other world is like. You can tell you're in the other world if all the lights are off and you're the only one there. Also, through the windows, all you can see is a red cross in the distance and a dark sky. The game seems simple, but getting back to your own world is much harder than it seems. The person may become disorientated, or forget which elevator they came on, or the elevators may seem to get further and further away as you walk towards them. The other world may seem like a dream, and if that person doesn't keep their wits about them, bad stuff's gonna happen. The woman who entered the elevator must never be talked to or looked at. If any player does interact with her, she may decide to keep them for herself. Some say this woman is a demon, others say she's a guardian of a threshold, and those she decides to keep usually have an imminent demise. So some people say Elisa Lamb was playing this elevator game the night she ended up in the water tank. In the surveillance footage on the elevator, it does look like she's pressing the buttons in a calculating way. Also, she seems to be hiding herself or trying to avoid someone, then talking to an unseen person in front of the strange, non-closing elevator doors. This is an interesting way to look at it, and I find the paranormal ritual story kind of creepy. And though completely off the rails, the deadly elevator game is intriguing to think about with an open mind. Don't ever try to play it. I found some pretty freaky stories on Reddit about what happens if you screw up. And whether real or not, it's not worth it. The Cecil Hotel has only risen in infamy over the years. Some say it's because of a dark presence that lingers at the hotel, and that this entity has influenced the evil things that happen there, including Elisa Lamb's death. Experts in body language have analyzed the video recording of Elisa in the elevator. They say the body language she gives off is definitely from interacting with someone. Oddly enough, they also say that her body language gives off playfulness, 
That stuff didn't really make sense to me, though. The way she's moving in the elevator is just bizarre, and her arm and hand movement is just creepy. However, the creep factor lessens when you learn that the footage in the elevator has been altered. The official surveillance video is not genuine. It's been edited. Lots of moments in the video have been slowed down, like when Elisa is waving her hands around and moving all creepy. Not only that, it turns out some of the footage in the surveillance video is missing, like up to a minute has been straight up edited out for a mysterious reason. The timestamp in the video is a dead giveaway. It's been tampered with and corrupted on purpose. The inconsistencies happen when she leaves the elevator. There's also more jumps in time after she returns inside. People have restored the footage to the correct speed and played them side by side. The differences are very obvious. Which makes you wonder, why would the LAPD release altered footage to the public? And why is the restored footage not nearly as unnerving? Was someone else there with Elisa? It definitely looks like she's interacting with someone. Was someone's identity being covered up? One theory goes like this. According to documentation, there were three registered sex offenders staying at the Cecil Hotel, and a whole lot of shady people were living there too. It is a horrible part of L.A. being right there at Skid Row, after all. At the time of the incident, the hotel had come under new management, which wanted to lessen its sinister reputation. A new marketing strategy was introduced, and planned renovations. They wanted to try and raise the Cecil Hotel's bar, and make it more upper class like it was originally intended. But if you didn't know, there's actually people who straight up live at hotels. And some of the longer-staying guests were worried that the intended rebranding of the Cecil could push them out of their home. A couple of these people were registered sex offenders, after all, so it's no wonder they were worried. At the time of Elisa's death, one of these sex offenders was interviewed, and it turned out he'd been living at the Cecil Hotel for 26 years. On online reviews for the Cecil, there were complaints about people spying on them through the walls. One such incident concerned a woman who was being spied on while shaving her legs in the bathroom by someone in the wall. Not only is that really creepy, but considering all the perverts living there for decades or more, it's a bit unsettling to think that these predators have access to other people's rooms through the walls. It's possible one of these residents, resistant to the new hotel management's plan to upscale the Cecil, went out of their way to commit such an evil act like murdering Elisa and put her corpse in the hotel's water to horrify occupants. Drinking and showering in corpse water is not good for the public image of the hotel, and would further expand the Cecil's dark reputation. But it's an insult to Elisa's memory to think that she might be duped by some gross old man sex offender. So, the more likely version of this theory is that it was more than one of the residents resistant to the hotel's direction to be in on the plot doesn't explain why the LAPD would intentionally edit out footage from the elevator surveillance camera, though. But there was definitely a possible motive to kill Elisa Lam by the occupants of the hotel. There are many who believe she was murdered by longtime residents of the hotel. The sandy substance on the roof that was found on her clothes adds to the credibility of this story. The young Asian-Canadian woman's body had been decomposing in the hotel water supply for weeks. That's about as solid of a reason for upper-class people to avoid the hotel I can think of. It destroyed the hotel's reputation, and it already had a bad reputation to begin with. After the Elisa Lam incident, the hotel's intention to go up to the upper-class market was almost completely destroyed. The low lives at the Cecil got exactly what they wanted. The rents would stay low, and dodgy people staying there would continue to be overlooked. A hotel's true nature is to be filled with transient people coming and going. Though there are and were dregs living at the Cecil, there are far more people staying there for short periods of time. Many serial killers are known to travel to and stay in hotels to avoid the law and the places they kill. An official estimate in the U.S. is that there were 25 to 50 serial killers active at any given time. They perform their murders in an anonymous way, moving from one city to another. It's very possible that Elisa had been murdered by a nomadic serial killer. The hardest type to catch, and a type of serial killer that the law will not warn the public about. The CISO Hotel has a history of serial killers staying there after all, and it's highly likely that more undocumented and uncaught killers have stayed at the hotel. 
Putting Elise's body in the water tank would be an ideal way to conceal the evidence of the murder until the serial killer had safely moved on to the next city for new prey. There's actually more footage of Elise had taken before the elevator footage that has not been released to the public. This was even supported by the court cases, when a detective stated that they have footage of her entering the Cecil Hotel with two men. They apparently had a small box with them and they gave it to Elisa. Why this footage has never been released is a mystery, and no further information regarding the two men who entered the Cecil with Elisa has ever been released to the public either. But why did the door not close when Elisa blatantly pushes the buttons to get the elevator moving in the surveillance footage? Is it possible one of these two men seen entering the hotel with her was just out of sight, messing with her, but aware of the camera in the elevator and making sure to stay out of its line of sight? After Elisa's death, a YouTuber went to the Cecil and proved just how easy it is to get to the roof. Not only was there no alarms or locks, but when he got to the roof, recording everything as he went, two of the water supply hatches were already open when he got there. In the entire time, not once did he ever get the attention of the Cecil Hotel employees. Literally, anyone in the hotel could go up to the top roof if they wanted with little to no trouble. Which is kind of disturbing. Anyone could just go up to the roof and poison the whole water supply of the hotel if they wanted to. There's also bizarre graffiti that could be a clue located on the tank stuff. But if anything has come from them concerning evidence in any way, it hasn't been released to the public. The graffiti does look cryptic, though, with some sort of hidden meaning. Serial killers often leave personalized signatures of their work, and the graffiti could possibly be such a signature. Some amateur sleuths say the graffiti could be translated as piggish Latin, and loosely mean, I am finished with her. Speculating it's possible the graffiti has something to do with the occult. There are occultists who use piggish Latin in their work, and the graffiti could be part of some ritual. Despite Elisa Lamb's official cause of death ruled as accidental, there's a crap ton of evidence that suggests otherwise. But there's still way too many pieces missing from the puzzle to put together anything objective. The LAPD seems to be hiding a lot of behind-the-scenes evidence on Elisa Lamb's case. And why would the LAPD alter surveillance footage on the elevator? An entire minute is missing, and they sped up certain parts of the footage to cover that up. The whole thing is bizarre and perplexing, and there's definitely more going on than meets the eye. But there's always the possibility it was corrupted by someone who had access to the security footage, and tampered with it before the LAPD got to it. Or how could the LAPD not have noticed the footage was altered in this case? And why hasn't the footage of Elisa entering the hotel with two men been released, but the altered footage in the elevator has? The whole thing is dubious, and it's like the footage was purposely slowed down to cover up an entire minute removed from the original footage. Conspiracy theorists have claimed that it's the LAPD cleaning up the mess of some twisted member of the elite class which basically rules America. Like in those stories of occult elite secret societies that do crazy evil things. However, there's no evidence to support this speculation. But the LAPD was against releasing the elevator footage to the public and resisted against it. So no matter which way you spin it, the Elisa Lamb case at the Cecil Hotel is eventually going to inspire conspiracy in many people. The craziest of which states that the police were indeed involved in Elisa's murder, covering up and altering evidence, which is terrifying but police are commonly used as personal armies by the elite in many conspiracy theories. Or it could have been a rogue agent, or rogue agents, that killed her. It's messed up to think about, but there is evidence to support this theory. It's also possible they were covering up knowledge of a prolific and dangerous serial killer they didn't want the public to know about. When concerning the case of Elisa Lam and the Cecil Hotel, there are far more questions than answers. The explanation for Elisa's death given by the LAPD is seemingly fictitious. Facts are twisted to suit theories, instead of theories twisted to support facts. And the official death by accident has many facts twisted to support the LAPD's theory. The case should still be open, and foul play be the official cause of her death. 
All correspondence Elisa had gave the impression she was happy and enjoying life on her adventure in California, and she had no prior accounts of suicidal manic episodes. One of the coroners who handled Elisa's body even had a case against him for incompetence of mishandling a corpse in a former case. So, the whole official story is a house of cards next to a moving van. The official statistic for unresolved homicides in the United States is one-third. Only 64% are actually solved closed-case incidents. Fifty years ago, 90% of homicides were officially solved. Elisa was a passionate, intelligent, and artistically poetic young woman. She was known to be level-headed, caring and compassionate, though sometimes dark and depressed. Never once was she ever known to be reckless, maniacally suicidal, or unstable to the point she was a danger to herself or others. But it seems like this case may never be solved, and there may never be any real answers. It could just be another dark chapter in the already dark history of the Cecil Hotel. During the Depression era, the hotel was a place where people and their dreams came to die and was at the forefront at a time of great suffering for Americans. The hotel's had its name changed these days, and now is called the Stay on Main. The management and owner are still trying to cleanse the hotel's tainted image. They keep trying to classy the place up, and distance the hotel from the horror movie image it's known for. It's unlikely the lovers succeed, though especially after the death of Elisa Lamb, and tons of people drinking and bathing in decaying corpse water. Alright, that's all for today's episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a good review on iTunes. We could really use the support to help grow the show. Though there will always be free episodes, the cost to make them is substantial. Your support will keep the show strong and running smoothly. Please visit crypticchroniclespodcast.com for full content. Check out the Chronicler's Vault to unlock all episodes of the show. And email us to tell us what you think, be it ideas or anything really. We'd love to hear from you. I'm your host, Tim Hacker, and thanks for listening to Cryptic Chronicles.